Welcome to the Mount Olive Baptist Church podcast. I'm Pastor Carl Stokes. We appreciate you being here today with us. Our desire is to preach the Word of God effectively and clearly so that you can understand God's desire for you in your life. With me in your Bibles to John chapter 13. In my generation, in, in my home, growing up, uh, if there was something going on at church, that's where you were. Uh, Mom and Dad didn't ca- uh, care for anything that was going on on Sundays and Wednesdays. Uh, if it wasn't church, it wasn't anything that happened those days. Those were the only... That's the only place they were supposed to be on Sunday and Wednesday. If if uh, there was an event at church on another day other than Sunday and Wednesday, we were there too. And sometimes when there wasn't anything going on at church, we were still there at church. Uh, Mom and Dad had us under the pews, uh, scraping gum off of the pews and all kinds of stuff. And it wasn't because we'd been bad or anything. It was just because... Uh, uh, we needed to do something at the church, and and that was uh, something that that we could do was to to do that. And so uh, we were always at church, and uh, we kind of I know for a lot of you that's probably the same uh, situation in your life. You were at church all the time. You your parents uh, took you to church. You were expected to be at church. That was just how life was. But that's not how life is for today. Um, at one time, when I was young, uh, nothing was planned on Sunday and Wednesday by the schools, by civic organizations, by clubs or anything else. If it was a meeting they were going to have, it was going to be on a day other than Sunday or Wednesday because they expected everybody to be at church. And they knew that if they planned it on those days, nobody would come because of church. Uh, it was just expected. But that's not expected anymore. Um, and something's changed. Uh, we've taken uh, the fact that people come to church for granted. Uh, one of the most amazing statistics that you'll ever hear is that one out of three people on the planet 2.2 billion people claim to be a Christian and are part of a church. It's amazing for so many reasons. Particularly, the, the greatest uh, reason is, is that from the beginnings of the church, you go back to the very beginning of uh, things, to the very first church. It started about at the time of Jesus with about 120 people in the Roman Empire. At the end of the first century, there were fewer than 10,000 Christians and it made up only 0.00017% of the 60 million people that lived in the Roman Empire. By the year 200, there were about 200,000 believers in the Roman Empire and it made up 0.36% of the Roman Empire. By 250 A.D., almost 
2% of the population, more than a million people were Christians. And just two generations later after that, by the year 300, Christians made up approximately 10% of the Roman Empire numbering over 6 million people. By the 4th century, there were 35 million Christians in the ancient world. And if you do the math, Christianity grew 40% per decade for hundreds of years. The question is not just how did they do it, uh, and how did, but how did the early church survive? Because... Uh, Many Christians in those early days faced such persecution. It was a crime to show your allegiance to anyone other than the emperor. It was a crime to say anyone else was Lord other than Caesar was Lord. Um, It, you know, they not only survived, they thrived in that environment. That's amazing considering that the founder of the church was, in the world's eyes, just the son of a peasant carpenter from a no-name town in a small country that was under the dominance of the Roman Empire. In the beginning, Christianity was considered to be depraved and in many parts it was illegal. The persecution of Christians was relentless and unending. So how is it that we have come to this point generations later that our numbers of Christians throughout the world purportedly number 2.2 billion people. That's a lot of people. How is it that we got here in a considerably a short period of time compared to the... I mean, consider. You know, Jesus started out with just His disciples. By the end of His earthly ministry, like I said, there was a, at, a conservatively 120. Days after His uh, ascension, uh, you know, 2,000 were added to His to the number. That's amazing to go from uh, a few hundred at the most to 120 to over 2,000 to thousands within just a short period of time. How is it that, that we in, in such an easy environment today we we talk about being persecuted, but we're not really persecuted here in the United States for our faith. Now, there are places on this earth that, yes, uh, Christians do face persecution, but nothing compared to what the persecution was during the Roman uh, Empire, during those first uh, thousand years of the Christian church, where, I mean... Today, the most severe thing would be to be what? In someone, somewhere where Christianity is outlawed because of, of another faith and, and you ran, ran the risk of uh, either being 
uh, exiled by your family and, and uh, 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 shunned by everyone that you love or worse yet, put in prison or uh, executed for your faith. But in the Roman Empire, during the Roman times, the Christians faced such persecution as, as being bound and, and on stakes and being lit up so that uh, Nero could uh, light his garden with the, uh, with the burning of Christians or being thrown into the Colosseum and being devoured by wild animals or uh, more mercifully, uh, if they had been thrown in there with gladiators and, and killed for practice uh, for the gladiator. These kind of things were routine in those early days of the church. So how is it that we've come to have so many people in the church and yet we're seeing a decline in our our numbers in church. I mean, we have so many people that claim to be Christian, and yet we have so few people that actually participate in church, come to church. And I spoke this morning about the fact that we've got, as Christians, need to have that kind of hunger and a, a yearning, like Paul talked about, that aching within his body to go out and to share with the other people that we love. But how else can we share? More than just simply going out, how can we attract people to make our church the kind of place where people want to come? Jesus, uh, towards the end of his ministry, now this is, uh, uh, is where we are in, in John chapter 13. We've come to the last few days of Jesus' uh, life on earth before his crucifixion in Jesus knows his time is approaching and so he goes to Jerusalem with his disciples and they have what we know to be the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper for them. Uh, they are together in the upper room and Jesus is speaking with them and he's already uh, called out Judas to be uh, his betrayer and, and Judas leaves and, and Jesus has already washed their feet and told them about being of service and he's telling them all these things that they need to prepare them for the time in which he's going to be gone. Look with me in, in John 13 starting at verse 34. Jesus gives us some words on how we as a church can be the kind of place where people... Wouldn't it be wonderful to, to have a church where you have to come 30 minutes or an hour early just so you can get a place to park? Wouldn't it be wonderful to, to have a church that you have to come early because you're afraid you might not get in the building because there's so many people, let alone have a place to sit, but, but that we have so many people that people are clamoring to get into church <coughs> because of what God is doing in our midst and because of what God is conveying to the people who come to worship. Wouldn't it be wonderful not just to have that in one church, but in all our churches where people are coming and clamoring and, and eager to hear the word and, and want to stay late, don't want to 
to have the church service to end because they're getting so much of the word that they want more and more. And, and when the pastor goes to end the service, everybody is depressed and, and, and says, oh no, it's time to stop. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have that kind of environment where people are, are just ignoring everything else in the world except for their relationship to Jesus Christ? Wouldn't it be wonderful to where when we come together, the overflow of, of the joy of the Lord is just so rich and so abundant that we can't help but to sing God's praises and to rejoice at what God is doing and, and to testify to one another about all the things that are going on and to share with one another the things that God is, is teaching us day in and day out. You say, well, Brother Carl, why can't those things be like that? Well, I think there's several reasons why they can't be that way. I think there's many things that we could change. And, and the problem is, and, uh, is that we have to realize that change has to begin with us. It doesn't matter who's in the White House, we're not going to be able to legislate Christianity. Things might happen in our society and in our nation where we may disagree with them and we say, well, you know, we've got to get uh, good Christian men and women in, in places of authority, in places of the White House and the Senate and the Congress and, and uh, make sure that certain things happen. And, and those things are important, but we can pass all the laws we want to, but that, we can't pass a law where people become a Christian. Then we're not free. We're not free nation any longer. So people have to want to have that kind of relationship. It's got to start within us. It's got to start within our own life of deciding that, hey, I'm going to do some things that are going to at least change my life. I might not, we might not change our whole church or our whole neighborhood or our whole culture, but we can at least change us, can't we? I mean, uh, you have a power over who you are, right? I mean, you can't control who I am and I can't control who you are, but I can control who I am. And so one of the things that we need to see is, is what are some things that we can do in our own lives? If we all do these things in our own church, then maybe we'll change our church to be the point in which we have some of those things that we desire for our church of having that kind of environment where people are so eager to come and be here. The first thing that we need to have is addressed here in the Scripture. Verse 34 of John chapter 13 says, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this you shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, I think the first thing that we can do as a church is have love for one another. Jesus says that, that and this is right before he goes to the garden 
And right before his betrayal, right before his crucifixion, he says, as I'm leaving, I want you to understand something. You need to understand that you need to love one another. He says, I uh, love one another as I have loved you. What kind of love did Jesus demonstrate towards the disciples? Well, I don't think he was just talking about what he was doing that evening. I mean, he demonstrated a great amount of love by uh, his humility of, of bending the knee and, and washing their feet and doing that kind of thing. But how did Jesus demonstrate his love to his disciples? I mean, he was with them 24 hours a day, uh, every day of the week for the last three and a half years or so. And he constantly was talking to them about the love of God, constantly talking to them about God's desire for them, constantly demonstrating his love for them. And of course, we know that this is kind of a foreshadowing of the love that Jesus would demonstrate on the cross of Calvary. He says, I'm going to show you the kind of love that you need to have for one another. And he did that by allowing himself to be taken and and being nailed to the cross and dying for in our place. So if Jesus is telling us that we need to love one another with the same kind of love that he has for us, then that means we need to have a sacrificial type of love, a love that is more than just simply, yeah, that person's in my church, or yeah, that that person's a nice person, and and they're in my church, and and I have to be nice to them because they're in church. It goes beyond uh, just simply being friends with someone, doesn't it? Does the kind of love that Jesus demonstrated on the cross of Calvary, the kind of love that He calls for us to have for one another, does just simply being somebody's friend cut it? Just being a good acquaintance to someone that's... Yeah, yeah, if if you happen to see that person on the side of the road with a flat tire, you might be willing to stop and to help them change the tire. Or if they come up a couple of dollars short at, at Walmart while they're buying their groceries, you might dig in your pocket and, and help them out and pay for uh, the dollar or two that they're short. Or even if when they fall on hard times and have a tragedy in their life, be willing to give uh, $100 or so to help them in a time of great need or a time of great uh, sorrow in their life to, to do those kind of things. Those are great. That's fantastic. But that's not really sacrificial love, is it? That's not the kind of love that Jesus is talking about, really. And, and in, in, our today's, in our society today, that, that's saying a lot. What I just described of being willing to help people out and doing things and giving uh, to someone in a time of great need, uh, that's more than most people expect. But Jesus says, I expect you to have a greater love than that, a sacrificial love, a love that places the needs of the other person over my needs. You see, Jesus had... Uh, that's what Jesus did for us. Jesus didn't have a need so great that He desired to come and to die on the cross. But His love for us was so great that He was willing to come and do that. And 
so He valued your life, valued my life, more than He valued His own. Allowed Him to go to the cross of Calvary. He says, Love one another as I love you and as I have loved you. That we're to love one another in that way. Jesus' sacrificial love means that and how do we how do we think about ourselves? We clothe ourselves, which I'm glad everybody's got clothes on tonight. Uh, we, we all take care of ourselves through grooming and and I and again I'm glad that everybody has chosen to do that and has showered and shaved or or primped and pulled and and combed and all that kind of stuff uh, we're all look decent and nice and we don't smell and we all do that because we not for each other we do that to care for ourselves we care for ourselves and that we sacrifice money in order to uh, go to the doctor when we feel sick or go to the dentist when we uh, to have our teeth checked or go to the uh, eye doctor to make sure that we can see clearly. We do all of those things for ourselves. We make sure that, that we feed ourselves, not just once, but three times a day and sometimes more than necessary. We feed ourselves. And I won't go into talking about food again tonight. Um, but... We take care of ourselves by making sure that we have plenty of food to sustain our life. And some of us have enough to where we could crawl in a a cave with a bear and hibernate for a while and still come out and have uh, some left over. But we all take care of ourselves way, way beyond what's necessary sometimes. And we, we tend to... Uh, even, I mean, advertisers. There, for a while there, their whole thing was: you. It's not just that you might need this product, but you need to splurge on yourself. You need to do this because you deserve it. You need this in your life because look, you need to get away from all the stress. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> All the strain, all the problems that you're facing, all the difficulties you're going through, you need this for yourself because you deserve it. Or there's other things in your uh, that you can just splurge for yourself. I think about, again, I'm not going to talk about uh, food, but there's all kinds of products that are advertised and hitting at us because, hey, you need to you need to pamper yourself. You need to splurge and, and all that kind of thing on yourself. We take such good care of ourselves. And then we tend to love our family members the same way. We, uh, we as parents, we do all those things for our children. We help our children to set up their lives of their own and 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 start out on their own and kind of get them a head start in their life uh, so that they can get going. So we show that kind of love to our children. 
But even that's not the sacrificial kind of love that Jesus shows. Now, on rare occasions, you'll see a parent or sibling that'll go in and and sacrifice themselves so they can rescue a a sibling or a child of theirs. A fire will be blazing, and you'll hear of of heroic people that'll go in and, and risk their own life for the life of someone else. That's all noble and generous, but that's not even close to the love that, that Jesus demonstrates for us. Because Jesus had something that none of us will ever experience. He had an eternity of perfection. Grasp that now. Imagine this. Jesus existed before all the time existed. Jesus, God incarnate. For all eternity past, He was perfection. For all eternity future, He is perfection. And He willingly went to the cross and allowed that which had not been in His life ever sin he took on our sins on the cross he did more than just simply die for us he took the penalty of our sins for us he allowed sin to to be placed upon him and if he'd just done that for one of us that would have been an amazing thing but he did it for all of us He did it for all the world. He allowed the sins of the whole world to be placed on Him. We all know that, right? You know that. You know that. But we don't think about that that much. It's not... Look, we all know how much Jesus... how much pain Jesus endured before He was nailed to the cross. He was lashed 40 times with a can of nine tails. Many people who experienced that didn't even live long enough to get to the cross. Jesus endured all of that where uh, those lashes that, that pulled at the flesh off of His body dug into Him and exposed his muscles and sinews and bones and being beat, pummeled, ridiculed. And then to be uh, crucified on the cross, that is an awful death of suffocation and exposure to the elements. All that pain doesn't come close to comparing to the pain of having sin placed on Him. Jesus loved you that much. He loved me that much. And so when He says, I give you a new commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Jesus is saying, you need to love that person sitting next to you on the pew or in the pew ahead of you or pew behind you with kind of love like I'm about to show you on the cross of Calvary. Can you imagine what people would do if we 
had the kind of church where everybody in here loved each other with that kind of love. And we loved others with that kind of love. And we saw other people. We wouldn't see people that maybe don't look like us and so we don't feel like they're uh, not too comfortable with them being here with us. We wouldn't see that. We'd see them like Jesus saw them. We'd see them for, for the fact that Jesus died on the cross of Calvary and so we loved them like Jesus loved them. Even in the midst of their sin and their rejection of Jesus Christ, we would love them to the point where we'd be willing to do anything that they would know that kind of love, that love of Jesus Christ, have that love in their life. Jesus says, I want you to love one another. We're to love everybody in this community, everybody in this area, everybody that we come in contact with, that kind of love. Not saying to ourselves, well, I don't like that person because their hair is too long. I don't like that person because they got too much facial hair. I don't like that person because they got tattoos all up and down their arms or they have holes in their head or, or they listen to this kind of music or that kind of music or they drive this kind of car or that kind of car or they go here, they go there, they do this, they do that. We would see them like Jesus saw them and we'd have that kind of love. Can you imagine the kind of of, of message that we would get out if we just simply loved one another, loved other people in this area with that kind of love. To be quite honest, I thought that was how we were supposed to be all along. We're supposed to have that kind of love for other people so that when we see somebody that looks different from us, a different nationality, a different race, a different color, a different... Uh, uh, inclination than we are. We're to love them with that kind of love because guess what? God loved them that way. Jesus loved them that way. We're to love them the way Jesus loves us. Kind of changes your attitude about not liking certain people, not liking, I don't like this kind of person because they're too uppity. I don't like this kind of person because they're too laid back. I don't like this kind of person because they wear their hair, their hat backwards or they wear their hat forwards or they wear their hat sideways or whatever you want to say. Whatever it might be. We're to love them with the kind of love that Jesus has for us. In verse 35 he says, By this shall men know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What's the world's impression of the church? All them hypocrites up there. Well, I almost have to agree with them. We're supposed to have this kind of love. We've been told by Jesus. He told us 2,000 years ago, so it's not a secret. It's been here all along. We're supposed to love others this way, and yet we don't love them. We love ourselves more because we run air conditioning so we can cool in here. We love ourselves more because we've got carpet on the floor and carpet on the pews. We love ourselves more because we have padding in the pews. We love ourselves more because we would rather sit back and sing songs than we would love to go out and to share Jesus Christ with others. We, lo we love ourselves more because we'd rather sit at home and watch the football game or go bass fishing than we would sharing with somebody else about the love of Jesus Christ. We love ourselves more because we'd rather go down the street to the fish place and eat some fish 
or to the steak place and eat a big steak, then taking that and going out and sharing with somebody else about the love of Jesus Christ. But what if what if the what if the world saw us and said, you know those people over there, I might not agree with them, but they love everybody with a love that I like I've never seen before. And the people up there, they love everybody so much that I gotta find out what they got, because boy, I want it. I've been trying to find it in this and that. You know, the world's trying to find happiness in a in a, a bottom of a liquor bottle at, at, at the end of a joint, uh, at the end of a needle, or pills that they take. People are trying to have uh, all kinds of fun, doing all kinds of different things, and they're trying to escape all the problems. And if they just simply knew the kind of love that we knew, and we shared that kind of love with everybody else, they'd want to come here because they would say, they got something better than anything I can take. I want to find out what they're on. And they, they'd come and find out that we're not on anything except for the love of Jesus Christ. And they would say, you know, Maybe they're crazy up there. It can't be that good until they found out more about the love of Jesus Christ and found out it was true. Jesus says, everybody else is going to know you because of the kind of love that you share with everybody else. If you share my kind of love with others. The problem is we don't have this this kind of love in our church. Now, we're a loving church. We love on each other, but that's the problem. We just love on each other. We need to, and I'm sorry for stepping on your toes so much, but we need to love everybody else the same way we love each other. Jesus says you need to love others the way I loved you, the way I sacrificed for you. If you say, well, I'm not going to do that, preacher, because you hurt my feelings, because you're saying I don't love people enough. Well, if we loved other people the way that Jesus loved us, then we'd see a different showing here at church tonight than what we got. People would know we're different from other churches because we've got something that a lot of other churches aren't doing. Other churches would be coming to this church and say, what are y'all doing that y'all got so many people wanting to find out what's going on here? Y'all got this crazy kind of love that we've not seen before. We want to do this in our church. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing to have a movement of God where God's people actually loved other people the way we're supposed to? I mean, that's all it is. It's not about some high-priced speaker. It's not about having somebody photogenic enough to be on TV. It's not about some big evangelist renting out a big auditorium or a big coliseum somewhere, a big football stadium, and and having uh, a month-long revival services or even a week-long. You know, good gracious, we can't even get a revival to go a whole week. We've got to stop on Wednesday because people won't come. But I tell you what, if we love people that way, they would be knocking the door down to get in here to experience that kind of love. Jesus says what you need to have and what that early church had that we seem to lack is this crazy kind of love. Love other people in the same way that Jesus Christ loved us.
Let me tell you something. That was a tall order for Jesus to give those people, wasn't it? I mean, here's here's Jesus. He's telling them, love them with my kind of love. Remember, they're in Roman-occupied nation where Roman soldiers from a foreign land were in their, in their country telling them what they could or could not do, taking things that they own for their own good, forcing them to do labor on their behalf. If you're a Roman soldier or you're living in a Roman-occupied nation, this Roman soldier could grab you by the scruff of your neck, pull you over, give you his pack, and force you to march at least a mile carrying his pack for him. And you had no recourse but to do exactly what he said. Jesus said, not only carry that for him, but give him your cloak. Give Carry it two miles for them. Go beyond. <coughs> Go beyond what's required. Express <coughs> my kind of love for even the one who oppresses you. Tried to search my brain for some kind of circumstance that would kind of equate with that the best I could. I know what everybody's thinking. 1930s Germany, occupying Nazis, occupying other countries, (coughs) coming in, taking anything and everything, shipping people off to be killed because they wanted this or that, forcing people into forced labor, So what Jesus is saying is, have my kind of love that even loves those people that mistreat you that way. Have my kind of love that would love an oppressor. Because He loved them. He died for them. He died for our sins. He died for their sins. Maybe if we had that kind of love in this church, we'd have a hard time finding a place to sit, finding a place to park. We'd have a hard time ending the service. We'd have a hard time because there'd be so many people coming, wanting that. Don't you think the world wants that kind of love? Don't you think everybody around wants that kind of love? The reason people close their doors and don't want to have anything to do with you when you go and knock on the door is because they don't think you're genuine. They don't think you have what they need. They don't think that you're any different from any other uh, plastic uh, imitation than any other church. They want to get on with their life because why? Because they're going to take care of themselves. We need to show the kind of love that Jesus loved us, even in the face of that kind of rejection. They'll know it's true. They'll know that our love is genuine, that God's love is genuine. 
then they'll want that kind of love in their life. So let's start with that in us. And next week we'll talk about something else that we need in not just our church, but all churches that would change the kind of church that we have today into the kind of church that God wants for our for us. Let's let's pray.